Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. All right, here we go. I'm one of your hosts today, Aaron Schneider. And I'm Angie Fryermuth. Today's guests are here to talk about real estate, and we have Ms. Johnson Muick, the Chief of Real Estate for the Corps Headquarters, Ashley Klimaszewski, who's the Chief of Real Estate for Louisville District, and Todd Sarnecki, who's the Chief of Real Estate at Northwest Division. Thanks all for being here today. Thanks for having us, Aaron. So, Ms. Johnson Muick, could you get us started? Could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and really your path within USACE, how, how you came to be the, the Chief of Real Estate at Headquarters? So I've been with the core real estate organization for just a little over 30 years now. And I started in the Pittsburgh district, came in as an attorney advisor, and then switched over into the realty specialist series and spent about 15 years in Pittsburgh. And in very late 2004, they were having a staff reduction in the district. And I left to come to the Southwestern Division real estate team in Dallas, Texas. And I came in um, as kind of an acquisition planning specialist there and then became the chief of real estate in SWD in 2009. And then recently, in um, just June of 2021, I am in a interim director position for real estate at the headquarters until they can uh, get out and recruit and permanent fill for the position. Great, thanks. Ashley, how about you? So I started my career with USACE in 2003. I've been with the Corps for about 18 years now. And I started as a student in real estate in the Nashville district, actually. So I, I spent the majority of my career there in Nashville. And then I had the opportunity to apply for the deputy chief job in the Louisville district in 2018. So that's when I, I came to the team here and um, I'm new to for real estate, so I just uh, I just took on that position um, last August. So I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. That's great. I have to give a shout out there to the class of 2003 because that's uh, when I was hired as well. So <laughs> good thing, uh, Todd. Uh, how about you? Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. So I've been with the Corps of Engineers for about 13 years now. The past eight years with Northwestern Division. Prior to that, I spent about three years at headquarters USACE working uh, at the office that uh, Ms. Johnson Muick uh, currently is the director of. And then uh, prior to that, I was was at our Walla Walla district office, uh, a district uh, within our region at NWD as the chief of real estate. Prior to the Corps, I was with uh, the Naval Facilities Engineering Command, which is the the Corps' uh, counterpart that uh, services uh, facility engineering for for the Navy and Marine Corps. And uh, I got started in real estate out of college in what was the Navy's uh, counterpart to our DA intern program. Uh, I I got in at the very um, initial years of of military housing privatization. And it it was in working through that program that uh, I was able to, to become you know more aware of real estate in general and um, it was in 2009 when I was uh, part of uh, some family uh, desires looking for a change and that's when I we uh, 
my family at the time we moved to to Walla Walla and, and began work with the Corps. So, uh, it, it, 28 years, and, and I can't believe uh, I'm able to say that it's gone so fast. Thank you all for being with us today, and thank you for your service. It's great to hear the backgrounds of our guests. Today, we're going to learn more about real estate, and I think oftentimes it, it's a mission that um, people outside of the Corps don't necessarily think of when they think of the Corps of Engineers, but it's a very important role. So, Ashley, can you tell us um, the role that real estate plays in mission execution within the Corps? Absolutely. So, one of the really neat things about real estate with the Corps is that um, we have a very diverse mission. Um, we have a civil works mission where we manage property around uh, lake projects. We resolve encroachment issues. We even work with uh, local project sponsors to acquire real estate for continuing authorities projects. We assist with disaster relief efforts. We dispose of or divest of property that's no longer needed for, for use by the government. We grant use of property that's not immediately needed for project purposes. And what that does is help us uh, reduce our O&M costs of owning property. A lot of it provides uh, recreational opportunities on the lakes. Uh, we also have a military mission um, and our military programs support our army installations around the country. So we often help them with management of their property as well through leasing property um, that's not immediately needed. We also do timber sales, which I think a lot of people don't realize we do, which is really cool. Um, we can dispose of property at their request. And you know, we also help other military services as requested, such as the Air Force. Um, they may require our assistance on acquisition projects that they might be doing. So, um, we also support the Army Reserve and, and we acquire property for them for military use. And then we also have a recruiting mission um, and the recruiting program supports the DOD Armed Forces recruiting mission. And so we're basically the leasing agent for DOD. Uh, so our team goes out and acquires space um, to meet their requirements. We manage build out of the space to their specifications and then we manage those leases after they're put in place. Um, so that's a few of the areas that we have. I, I know there's probably more that I'm leaving out because it, it really is a diverse mission, um, but that's one of the really cool things about working in real estate for the Corps. I think one of the, the things I continuously am amazed by in talking to folks through the core is how diverse the organization is and the many different missions. So it, it seems like, you know, real estate fits right in with that. It really makes me wonder, like being so diverse, uh, you know, and really working across the, the military missions and also the civil works missions. Ms. Johnson, could you tell us a little bit just about how you're organized and how you're able to manage all of this workload? Well, that's getting more and more challenging by the day uh, as we talk about that. But yeah, I mean, um, we're in almost every district, not not quite every district has a real estate organization. There's a couple where they're supported by uh, another district in their region. But, you know, we've got, and in our districts, chiefs of real estate, they've usually got kind of a, generally speaking, um, an acquisition planning type workforce, uh, who handles all sort of that new project stuff coming online. Um, they, they've got a management and disposal workforce, and then they've got kind of a technical support group that provides our mapping and our GIS and our appraisal 
services. And in some places we're organized, uh, divided by civil and military, but in large part, we're organized more by areas of specialty. And we, you know, we also serve in some of what Ashley was talking about. We also sometimes service other federal agencies like work for others. So we've done work for uh, Department of Homeland Security and CBP on the border. Um, we do work for EPA and, and DOE and, and several other um, uh, federal agencies who come to us for land related transactions. So I think we may be one of the only sort of soup to nuts real estate organizations um, in the federal government, you know, to include sort of cradle to grave services for real property. It's a challenge when we get these new projects in to try to figure out what the right organizational structure is. We use PMOs, program management offices, in some cases for special programs that are going to be uh, maybe a year or two in length or even longer where we, where we need to sort of centralize the management of it. So we sort of morph to the need, if you will, um, in terms of structure and trying to leverage our um, expertise, uh, you know, that we have in each of our regions. One of the other things about real estate that you might not know that's a big part of how we operate is a warrant system. So you think of your FAR contracting officers and they have warrants to sign government FAR contracts on, uh, you know, for construction and other services. We sign real estate instruments. We have delegations from the Department of Army Installation, housing, and, and partnerships. Uh, we have a delegation and a warrant system inside of USAID. So we have warranted real estate contracting officers in our regions and in our districts that actually execute the instruments for the various missions that we talked about. Thanks for that. So Aaron and I are part of the revolutionized USAID Civil Works team, and we are always um, working with others to revolutionize the way that the Corps does business. And so I'm curious, how is real estate revolutionizing uh, your business processes or models? I'd say we probably all have something maybe from a different vantage point on that one. Uh, maybe I can start and then Todd can, can chime in. You know, we're using that vernacular Kind of more recently, there are lots of ways in which we need to improve the way we do business, and there's lots of pressure to go faster, to execute at the lowest levels, and there are a number of ways in which we're looking at trying to do that. Some of it is simply educational. We have had a large number of new employees come into real estate. I think, uh, I don't know the exact number, but I think 50% of our staff, our community practice, which numbers about 1,000, have less than 10 years of experience. And in the diversity of the program that we work in, there's a lot to learn and a lot to know. There are a lot of rules and regulations and policies and whatnot. And so we, we are working on uh, some key areas that we wanna um, highlight some training to make sure the field knows what their authorities are and where they have room to flex and where they have to come to a higher headquarters. So that's one way we're doing it and sort of updating some of our policy gaps um, and so I think I'll just throw that out to start with and then let the others chime in. So Aaron, picking up where Paul left off, yeah, um, in terms of business processes and, and policies, real estate has defined uh, business processes for our 25 product and services. And each year, all of the MSC real estate offices with, with the headquarters office, we, we work together 
to update uh, a group of those 25 products and services, applying lessons learned, input from the subcop, changes that uh, that would help us with uh, acknowledging, uh, you know, what the latest best delivery method is for real estate products and services. That's something that we have continued to do uh, since the inception uh, uh, of what was once the, the QMS, the quality management system, and is now into Qualtrics. Um, so that I think is a big, big thing, uh, especially looking at it from a regional perspective. And then one other thing is, especially with the workload situation where, where we have just an incredible capability challenge with delivering the, the program, just for real estate seems to continuously grow. It's so important that uh, as, a, as a regional body, we coordinate together in program delivery. We, we acknowledge that each district has that lead execution role for its area of responsibility, but there are situations that come up where workforce fluctuates, where there's some niche skill sets, where there's just some particular circumstances of, of work that, that we have to do a surge toward execution. And as, as, a, as an MSC, we're best positioned to help coordinate across the region to provide those resources so that, you know, with respect to, you know, getting something done, we're able to, to achieve that with, with the least amount of impact that otherwise we would incur for that project or that program. So, Todd, uh, real quick, a follow-up question to that. So, you mentioned um, sharing lessons learned and then the coordination across the region. I know that this is something that um, other missions across the Corps are really trying to figure out. Are there any good tips or, or tricks that you can share with others on how to successfully share lessons learned across a mission function such as real estate and then also a um, little info on how you're successfully coordinating across the region and then vertically up to headquarters yeah so a few tools and then i, I would imagine ashley and paula might ha might have some as well but the ones that come to mind for me first the more formal approach uh, there's a SharePoint site that our headquarters use real estate office hosts where we can submit lessons learned and, and post those for the enterprise. Second, we have a, a very active subcop set uh, for real estate uh, where through that, that subcop uh, medium or uh, lessons learned are able to be shared. There's also our boards. Yeah, at, nationally, we have the Board of Realty Governors where uh, chaired by Ms. Johnson Newick all the MSC chiefs. We have one uh, district chief that, uh, as well, and then other folks as necessary, where uh, the lessons learned certainly is something that comes up uh, over the course of business for the board. And then the last one I wanted to highlight for, for NWD, we have a, a, a regional real estate board comprised of all five district real estate chiefs, all of my branch chiefs at NWD and myself. We meet at least once a month providing lessons learned information is something that that is done at least uh, at least once if not numerous times on a given monthly meeting. Paula or Ashley? Yeah, I'll um, chime in here. This is Paula. I'll, one of the things that we're doing, um, Todd mentioned the subcogs, which I think is a big one um, and one of the best ways in which to take the lessons learned, but even just in our individual offices, 
Um, like speaking for the headquarters team, we have a number of people uh, on our, our staff who are either new to the core or, or newer and younger in, in years uh, or experience. And so I'm finding that I need to create time um, and be deliberate about it to have a forum for those folks where we can talk about a work package maybe we just finished in one region that they didn't have visibility of in case it comes up in theirs. Um, and sort of cross-pollinate and make sure that we're using a shared file system where everybody can access um, those documents when something like it does come up and we have some uniformity in how we're filing electronically for easy access and, um, and searching through. So we're not reinventing the wheel all the time. And sometimes we fumble through the, the simplest things of a template or Gee, I, I remember you had one of these, but then nobody can find the files. And so just conquering some of that small day-to-day -day stuff in your, in your current office and having a system for that that everybody uh, can buy into and provide some value for sort of some cross-training or, or um, discussion, I find that. I, I think that it's imperative for our management team all the way down to branch and section level to be doing that with their, with their staff, whether it's a brown bag, where you can play games and quiz on things in the regulations or, um, you know, just, I mean, make it fun, but there's got to be some deliberate effort to um, working that kind of lesson learn and training stuff on a regular basis with the staff. So uh, over to you, Ashley. I, I think you guys have covered this very well. Um, uh, active subcop participation. We're, we're having to go digital with everything now, so we have to figure out ways to to share information digitally uh, and make sure it gets to, to people uh, so they can see that. Even at the district level, we try to look at ways to, as Paul said before, we're, we're kind of pressured sometimes to go faster, go faster, and I think that we can use technology to our advantage sometimes and where we can. So we can look at things like doing uh, digital signatures on documents and passing information back and forth with people um, to get those things back a little faster. And it, it kind of cuts down on your mailing time. I mean, there's simple things you can do, like when we collect money for, for rent, we can do that through pay.gov, which is, you know, something that someone can take and they put their bill, bill number in online and they pay it online. So just things like that that can cut back on um, processing time even at the, at the district level. No, I think that that's all great. And as part of the, the revolutionized team, I think I want to pivot a little bit here and, and talk a little bit about some challenges that we've heard from within real estate. And, and one, I think our listeners would definitely expect us to ask you about non-standard estates and what that means. And and we've I've worked in the planning side with a number of sponsors, and it seems like they're always wanting to do something just a little bit different uh, when it pertains to uh, a non-standard estate or, or acquisition of real estate, I should say. And They'll say, oh, it's a ecosystem project and we just want to get a, a flow adjustment on that piece of property versus the standard state, I believe, is fee title. Um, so, Ms. Johnson, could you tell us a little bit about what the standard estates are, why they're important, and then when a district is exploring the use of a non-standard estate, what they should be doing uh, as part of that process? Sure, I'd be happy to, Erin. So, it is a, a big uh, area of of discussion these days throughout the court all levels. And we have 26 standard estates in our published policy of real estate regulation. And those 
the states have been in place for several decades. And what they do, if state is the part of a, of a conveyance where you're transferring a piece of property to me and the estate represents the rights you're giving to me. And, and so the language is the critical part of any real estate deed, whether it's an easement or fee. And so, you know, the, the writing of that estate language is the critical part. It defines what I can do after, you, after I receive the grant and what you can do, if anything, um, afterwards. And so it's critical that we acquire the rights necessary to allow construction and operation and maintenance of the federal engineered project and to make sure that it can perform in a way for as long as it's authorized to achieve the benefits that were part of justifying the investment in the first place. And so that's why it's so important. And I liken it a lot to partnership agreements. When we want to change language and partnership agreements, that still has to come up to headquarters because it's so important that we get that contractual agreement between us and our partner correct. And we're treating all of our partners equitably across the country and not doing something weird in one state and that we can't, you know, we're not doing in another state. So non-standard estates are very similar. And so we try to encourage the field to stick to the standard because that is gonna be the fastest way to construction. But there are always exceptions to every rule. And so we have to consider non-standard estates in some cases, and they come up most frequently in ecosystem restoration projects where our standard is fee because we, typically think that we need to control everything that happens on that property to protect the improvements that we're putting in there. So you can't have hunters trampling it down or somebody tearing out the plants that we just put in for their electric line or, or whatever. But we've you know, allowed room for the use of easements in ecosystems. But in order to, to, to approve an easement for an ecosystem project, we have to have very specific language in the state that matches the project design um, elements and construction elements and that have to be legally enforceable in that state. And all of that ends up resulting in something that, that needs to be looked at at headquarters. And we're, we're under a lot of pressure to power down and to not require those estates to come to headquarters. But the reality is that is not just a real estate policy, but a civil works policy to try to protect the federal investment and the engineered solution that we're trying to accomplish. So that's a lot in a nutshell, but I'll stop there and see if you want to ask me anything else. Yeah, no, that's great. I guess one follow-up question is, is you'd mentioned we have 26 standard estates that have been around for decades. Is there been any discussion of maybe adding some additional ones for some of those common situations that you, you see, uh, like the uh, ecosystem projects and more of a, an easement versus fee title? Um, I have had some recent discussion just in my short time at headquarters with uh, ASA Civil Works staff and maybe even a little bit of conversation with Department of Justice who all play a role in the crafting of the language in those estates. But it, that's a huge undertaking to look at whether we need to rewrite any of those or publish new. It's, it's a very difficult thing without a uh, designated team to do. And one of the reasons why an ecosystem easement has not been developed as a standard is because what I mentioned earlier, the language is generally tailored to that exact project and the features of that project. 
and not a lot of them are alike. And, and also the state laws have to be taken into consideration too. So something that we draft that's approvable in one state might not be able to be used in another. So the legal review and the legal sufficiency is a very important part of, of working on that. And the DOJ pieces, if we ever condemn or our sponsors have to condemn, we have to be sure that what, what we've acquired or asked our sponsors to acquire is defensible for our project. And so it's, it's a complicated equation. And I do think there's going to come a time where we need to update or, or look at those estates. And, and that's something that we'll have to get some momentum behind to get some resources assigned to. No, I think that's helpful to, to demonstrate really how complicated it is. I mean, for me, anytime you have to involve Department of Justice, it sounds like it's going to take a little bit of uh, extra work. So I appreciate that that input on that. So I wanted to move over to Ashley and Todd on this. Just curious, like what challenges have you guys seen or do you see day to day in delivery of the real estate mission? We can't go fast enough. I mean, they <laughs> want us. Yeah, I mean, that really is it. I mean, could you just go faster? And, and we've, we've actually, you know, in the old days and a lot of our older regs, we worked in a very sequential process where there was planning and then planning ended, you know, it was recon and feasibility. And then there was a big design phase and design was 100% done. And then we would turn to land acquisition, whether it was full federal or non-federal sponsor more and more to try to move the schedules to the left and, and dig dirt sooner. We want to do these activities concurrently. And, and there's a lot of, not a great deal of understanding outside of real estate of how much we are impacted by the design information and the footprint of where you need to be on the ground. And any changes that occur during design have a big impact on our product. So, if you give me a 65% design solution and say, here's your footprint, I say, great, I'm gonna go out and get some land surveys and I'm gonna write uh, legal descriptions for that land now. And then at 85%, you say, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought I needed 15 foot here, but now it's 30 you know, foot in width. Well, my whole product isn't any good anymore. And I gotta go back and restart. And and then the same thing for the appraisal that we did on the 15 foot wide easement instead of 30. And, and so it's really working with our teammates outside of real estate to nail down the requirements because we don't drive those requirements. Somebody else does, usually the designers and, the, and those who are constructing. And I've had conversations with PM, or, you know, where I will say, well, listen, I can get going sooner. We can go out and buy a whole bunch of property for you, and then you'll just have to work with it, design and build within it. And they then they look at me and go, well, that doesn't sound like a good idea. You know, I'm like, well, but that's the only, I don't know what else to buy. Like a crayon drawing in our business doesn't really work. And so we have this ongoing dialogue and tension, and it's healthy, but it's it's challenging. It's very challenging. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Todd or Ashley, anything to add? So yes, acquisition projects can get intense, as you can see, uh, and, and they usually have visibility. And like Paul said, they stick to strict schedules. Um, so there's always a lot of pro uh, pressure. What, what can we do now? What can we do now? Where can we take some risk? Uh, and that comes up more and more and more. So it's a domino effect for sure, um, as she 
illustrated very well. Um, one small change causes a huge domino effect in the real estate world. I can switch gears a little bit. We can talk about other acquisition challenges if you want to. But yeah, one of the things I, I think that people don't realize is how we intermingle um, with other agencies and how their policy changes can also sometimes affect us in real estate. We have a, a delegation of authority from General Services Administration to do lease acquisition um, that fits within um, certain parameters, of course, uh, they allow us to do that. Um, and if they make one small policy change within their agency, um, then that trickles down to us as well, change our processes and, and be able to implement those policy changes. So um, that's another area of real estate where, you know, small changes here um, cause a ripple effect nationwide, really. So I'd like to chime in um, uh, again to not just to focus on the acquisition side, but just in general a challenge. Like our, our business is pretty complicated. We have uh, complicated uh, delegations um, and authorities and a lot of close connection to the, the legal team in what we do. I don't think we're, it's very well understood in the core. You know, a lot of the commanders, in, in, you know, I know we're about the business of, of constructing and in real estate as a support, you know, organization, sort of a necessary evil, if you will. And a lot of the commanders would rather not have to deal with the, the new show of real estate and, and, and they just kind of want simple answers. And I sometimes struggle to get, you know, in the more complex things that we do or high visibility projects to, to, to make it as simple as they would like. And um, it's just a challenge. Uh, in the communicating, you know, uh, with our engineer uh, partners and the other. And so I am a big advocate of um, learning the roles of everyone on the PDTs and really, I mean, no one's going to spoon feed one another. We all have to understand what the others need and have really good communication. I think that will help us a little bit, but that's a, it's an ongoing struggle to say, like, for me to articulate why I need to know something about the, the um, electric lines and gas lines and water lines in a project. You know, why does real estate need to know about that? But there are real estate transactions likely tied to those. And we have trouble getting our, sometimes getting our teammates to know, partly because we're not explaining it well or being proactive about what information we need and when and why we need it. And, and that's just something we have to learn to do better to, to try to help our teammates understand, you know, our business a little bit more. We really are trying to help everyone get to the finish line. It's just not understood well, I guess. And I think that's a big challenge that we're facing. And I know I'm thinking about on a regular basis about how to make it more understandable so we can all be asking the right questions, you know, at the right time. Yeah, I 100% agree with you that it's very important to make sure that uh, all PDT members uh, know each other's mission and role so that we can work together and make sure that we're um, accomplishing the mission right the first time. So being civil servants, I know that uh, we we have to go through a lot of bureaucratic processes and challenges that make us want to bang our head against the wall. But part of being a civil servant um, is also the rewards of helping the general public. And so I want to talk about 
what has been the most rewarding part of your job? And so, Todd, can you talk a little bit about the most rewarding project that you've worked on within real estate? Wow, that's pretty hard to pick. You know, look, just looking across my region in the role that I've been in, you know, we're, we're working uh, to support our, our military installations, both uh, Army and Air Force. Our big inland waterway mission, we've got uh, multiple um, river systems that we, we uh, are responsible for at NWD. Disaster response mission and the things that come um, for attention. And, and the one that I, I think that comes to mind is the alternative care facility mission uh, that we had with, for the onset of the pandemic back in 2020. You know, real estate was front and center of that. You, you gotta have access to the property in order for the Army or its contractors to outfit these facilities with the medical equipment and, and personnel to, to support the pandemic. And so real estate had to move very quickly, had to coordinate broadly, not only internal to the core, but with multiple agencies outside and, uh, and, and do so in, in swift order in order to get these alternative care facilities up and, up and going and ready. So Enrique Godinez of my team, our districts, our headquarters folks, and then the other MSCs too that were involved. This was something that truly was a, a, a full enterprise uh, undertaking. And we're, I felt we were very successful at delivering that. I think that's the most uh, proud one that I can think of right now. How about you, Ashley? So I think one of the most rewarding aspects of working in real estate is that I get to learn something new all the time. We have some very unique projects that come up, and and you have to you have to adjust. Um, you you have to um, move those projects forward, and you have to figure out how to do it. We're always getting thrown um, some interesting curveballs in our projects for sure. Um, so I feel like I'm always learning something, even though I've been doing this for a long time. I do feel like uh, I learn something new from someone every day. The real estate community in general is just amazing to work with. I think we have such an amazing support network. I have made friends and had numerous opportunities to work on special projects. I've worked in New Mexico, D.C., Honolulu, and been able to live there on developmental assignments. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Um, there's just been so many opportunities that I've had over the years. So that's that's really awesome. And then I think one of the most recent transactions that, that I worked on and um, actually worked closely with Paula on this is that we were asked um, by the Department of State to help them uh, place Afghan refugees at some of our military installations across the country. Even though I was a small part of that because we had one of those um, in our area of responsibility that we covered, um, that, that was pretty amazing to be a part of that. I recently got to go to that installation on other business, but I, I went by to visit um, the DPW there on the installation. Um, and they, they gave me a tour, showed me where some of the refugees were staying. Um, and it was pretty amazing to see that uh, there are a lot of children there. Um, I think they said over almost half of, of those refugees were under the age of 18. So when you think about uh, the situation they came from and that um, we got to be a small part of, of that um, was, was pretty, pretty rewarding for me. Yeah, this is Paula. And, um, 
I echo what Ashley and Todd have said. It, it would be very difficult for me to pick out a project or, or you know, accomplishment. I, I think what I would focus on is it really is the, the battle buddies. A real estate community um, is a close-knit community. We work hard to um, keep our lines of communication open. It really is, you know, people talk about the core family. I think we really feel that in our community of practice. You know, it's really your, your battle buddy who understands best the challenges and accomplishments, and even if the rest of the organization doesn't necessarily and so, they, you know, I feel like that's a huge part of the benefit in the organization. And from my perspective, there is always a new challenge. And I like that personally. If it were all easy and repetitious, you know, it wouldn't be nearly as much fun from my perspective. It's more rewarding when you can work your challenge and solve it. And maybe not everybody's happy, but you get that project moving forward and you get you get to the end of the finish line and you try to learn from it and apply it moving forward. So, you know, I'm kind of in the later stages of my careers. I think now, you know, mostly what I want to do is try to pass some of that on and uh, working on building the bench and making sure the information is available to those who are coming on next because the mission is always going to be there and there's always going to be a next um, important mission like the OAW, we couldn't have forecasted that Afghan support mission, but, um, you know, it came in and we were able to execute what was needed and, and people worked extra hours and they didn't complain and they, everybody just, you know, what can I do? What do I need to do? And, and it was just a really, you know, it's pretty, we have some amazing people in the core, not just in real estate, but throughout, but certainly, you know, really proud of our real estate team and the things that they can come together to accomplish. So I think that, you know, that's in a nutshell, you know, some of the most rewarding pieces of it. No, that's, that's all really good. And it's, it's interesting always to hear just uh, the personal perspectives and the opportunities that you all have had um, and really just uh, how broad the mission is for you. It really helps to, to give perspective to, to some of us that maybe have just worked with you on a civil works project here and there. And I think you're right. It, it's not necessarily understood well what real estate means. And that partially comes, I think, from, you know, our side of the table, too, where, you know, we, we see real estate every day almost like, you know, everybody can, you know, owns property or could own a house or something like that. But so we think we understand it. But the reality is there's so much more to it than we probably see. So we kind of put you in a, in a hard spot to deliver. And then not to mention you're on the tail end of the, the design process, but you're also the very first step that the sponsors have to be able to accomplish to get their land in place. So, um, you know, I think we all need to, to make sure we communicate better as PDTs and work together on the understanding and, and just figure out where there can be some flexibility there. But I really want to thank you all for joining us here today, um, Ms. Johnson Music, Ashley, and Todd, uh, for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be, be revolutionary. Thanks for joining us for this Inside the Castle podcast. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.